As you know, during the Lenten season, the sermons are focused on parables that Jesus told. And this morning, we're obviously looking at the parable called the laborers in the vineyard. Let me kind of set it in context for you, which might uh, help understand better. It, it comes right after the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And knowing how rich the man was and how tied he was to his wealth and his possessions, Jesus gave him a unique prescription for this person that he should go and sell everything that he has and give to the poor. And then we're told the man went away sorrowfully because he had so many possessions. Now, because this man gained nothing, since he was not willing to give up anything, the disciple Peter responds impulsively by saying, okay, Lord, sir, what have we gained? We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus responds by saying, when the son of man is seated on his throne of glory, what everyone has given up to follow him will receive a hundredfold in return. And then he adds that last statement that we just heard that is so challenging and even perplexing, even in our own time. And Jesus says, those who are first will be last and the last shall be first. And then he goes on to give an example of, of what he means. And he tells this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Early in the morning, a man goes into the marketplace where the unemployed gather, hoping to find work and hoping that they will get picked early in the day so they can work the longest. You know what it's like to be unemployed and wanting to find work. You know what it's like uh, when you're young and they pick teams at school and they pick everybody but you. And so you're not the one picked right away. All these are factors that kind of play into the picture Jesus gives us here. So he goes early in the morning and he hires some workers for his vineyard and he promises to pay them a de denarius for their day's work. A denarius in that time was indeed a very generous pay for one day's work. And so they were delighted with it, delighted to be hired early in the day, delighted to have a job and delighted with what he promised to pay them. A little later in the morning, the man goes back into the marketplace and he hires some more workers to work in the vineyard and he promises that he will pay them whatever is fair, whatever is right, he says. And then at noon and then again at three o'clock, he hires more workers promising them he will pay whatever is right. Finally, at five o'clock, just about an hour or so before the working day ends, he goes back and hires a few more workers. At the end of the day, he calls all the workers, the laborers, in order to pay them. Now, wouldn't you normally think that he would pay those that were hired early in the day, the work the longest, wouldn't he pay them first? 
but that's not what happens. Instead, he calls those that were hired at five o'clock, the last ones that were hired, and when he pays them, he gives each of them a denarius, like two bags of Skittles in Abby's story. Seeing this, those that were hired early in the morning who had worked all day long rather than just one hour, seeing that they, he paid them a denarius, they got all excited thinking, well, wow, we're gonna get more than that. He'll pay us more than a denarius. But that doesn't happen. Instead, he pays all the workers, no matter how many hours they had worked, the same thing. And so those who had worked the longest, forgetting how pleased they were when he promised to pay them a denarius, cried out, that's not fair. Just like we saw in the children's sermon. And I didn't know she was going to do that. We didn't even talk about it. And uh, the little actors there, they worked right in the same way. You know, this uh, parable reminds me of a TV program that I used to like to watch when I was young. And it was called Let's Make a Deal. Uh, I have often said that if I had to retitle this parable, I would call it The Grumblers in Life. Not just the laborers in the vineyard but the grumblers in life, because it reveals an aspect of human nature, especially when it comes to money and material things uh, that's characteristic of our world today, especially. There are always those who are never satisfied with what they have, but they're always wanting more. No matter how good what they have is, they still want more. <clears throat> There are also always those who can find something wrong in every situation, even those who at first thought this is really a good situation. Then all of a sudden, they find something wrong with it. So that TV program, Let's Make a Deal, that I love so much, uh, the host of the show, if you remember it, will pick somebody out of the audience and have them come down front, and they're so happy to get picked because they know they're going to go home with something they didn't come with. And it doesn't cost them anything to play the game. And so he will give them something for nothing. He might give them a nice prize. He might give them some merchandise. He might just give them some cash money. And then he would ask them if they were willing to take a chance and trade what he had given them for what was behind one of these three curtains, usually three curtains. And uh, if they picked a curtain, they might get something much more valuable than what they already had. But there was also a likelihood that behind one of those curtains would be something totally worthless and they would get zonked as they called it. And so for example, one day a woman was chosen in the audience and he gave her $250 in cash. She was thrilled, she was excited. She was literally jumping up and down. You know what that's like. But when she was asked if she would like to trade that what he gave her, the $250, for one of two curtains, uh, she thought, well, with only two curtains, the odds are better that I'll get one right. And so she picked one curtain, and when they opened it, there was this giant TV screen and console music playing entertainment center 
had to be worth at least $2,000. Oh, you know how thrilled she was. What a deal, $250, now I've got this $2,000 entertainment center. She was so happy, you've never seen a happier person in your life until the host said, well, let's see what's behind the other curtain that you didn't pick, what you might have had. And when they opened that curtain, there was a brand new automobile. All of a sudden, her joy turned into despair because of what she had missed out on. Instead of being happy with the entertainment center, she was miserable because she didn't get that new car. She was like those laborers in the vineyard that Jesus talked about who became discontent with the generous wage of a denarius that they were promised to be paid because others who didn't work as long got paid the same thing. And so they cried out, that's not fair, that's not fair. You ever heard that phrase? <laughs> we hear it a lot in our world today. We hear it from children, teenagers, and we hear it from adults. When a child is punished for disobeying his or her parents, that's not fair. When all the other kids are going to the mall, but you can't go, that's not fair. When all the other kids get a car when they turn 16 years old, but you don't, that's not fair. When some people are paid twice as much as you are for work that is less demanding than what you're doing, that's not fair. When you have to cover for another employee who is kind of a lazy worker and to make sure the job gets done right, you've got to do more of his work than instead of just your own, you think that's, that's really just not fair. When the police give you the ticket, when it was the other guy who clearly ran the stop sign, that's not fair. When a coworker who hasn't been at your company nearly as long as you have, that coworker gets the job promotion that you've been working for and hoping for for years, that's not fair. When a man spends 40 years in prison for a crime that is later proven he did not commit, that's not fair. Two people get COVID. One has minor symptoms, the other one dies. That's not fair. We enjoy our daily lifestyle in this country while people in the Ukraine live fearfully every night of the bombing. And while they are living with a threat of being killed or having to be a refugee, we're complaining about $4 for a gallon of gas. What's fair about all this? How many times do you hear that phrase in our world? It's not fair. But whoever said the world would be fair? Jesus never said life would be fair any more than he said that life would be without difficulty or trouble free. Heaven, uh, he said later in, in addition to all that, he said at the end of this parable, the first will be last and the last will be first. I mean, is that fair? Does that sound fair to you? 
But Jesus didn't promise fairness. He did promise the love and the grace of God, which would overcome all trouble and difficulty and unfairness in this world. The word fair implies that we get what we deserve or what we think we deserve. But the word grace means much more than that. It means getting much more than we deserve. Think about it for a moment. As sinners, what do we deserve from God? Yet how does God treat us? Grace shows us that while we are still sinners, God loves us, God forgives us, God even treats us as if we'd never sinned at all. That's kind of what this parable is all about. Not fairness, but grace. All the workers in the vineyard did not deserve the full pay, but the owner gave it to them anyhow. So which do you think is greater, fair or grace? Which one do you really want? Grace is not fair, but grace is much better than fair. It's all about God and God's undeserved, unlimited love for each one of us. It's not what we deserve, but it's about how much God loves everyone. God loves you. Grace also tells us that God loves every one of us equally. All the workers in the, in the vineyard were paid equally. One of the questions I've always found that Sunday school classes or small groups love to discuss is, who does God love more? Or as James and John would ask, who's gonna get the best seats in the kingdom of God? Who does God love more, Billy Graham or Jimmy Swaggart? Vladimir Putin or Mother Teresa? Adolf Hitler or Bishop Tutu? You remember Jesus once said something about who would enter the kingdom first, the self-righteous Pharisees or the tax collectors and the prostitutes? Who do you think will have the greatest seat of honor in God's kingdom? The committed Sunday school teacher who has taught for 40 years in the same class? Or the criminal who has a deathbed conversion like the thief on the cross? I had a men's group in Memphis that loved this, this discussion. And they would always talk about going to heaven. It would be like getting a seat in the big pyramid, you know, on downtown Memphis, that arena, and they said that some people will get a seat right at midcourt, or best seat in the house, you can see everything, but others will get a seat way up high in the nosebleed section where you really need binoculars to see what's going on. So what does this parable say about how much God loves us and how we will be treated? Do we get what we deserve? I don't think so. This parable says something different, something that's even shocking to some people about the love of God. 
Everybody gets paid the same. All are loved by God the same, fully and equally. But not everybody discovers this truth in life, this wonderful nature of God's love. And when you don't discover it, there's nothing more difficult than feeling like nobody really loves me or nobody really wants me. I don't fit in. I didn't get picked first or even second or third. One writer even said this parable is not about jobs in a labor market, but it's about having a purpose in life, a reason for being, a reason for getting up every day with joy and excitement because you've come to realize and to feel how much God loves you. You, you, only you, individually you. And that love of God is offered equally and fully to everybody, whether you come to it early in life, like those hired early in the morning, or late in life, like the thief on the cross, or those hired an hour before the day was over. Nothing else in this world, not wealth, not fame, not power, nor pleasure, nothing can begin to compare with the joy and the peace and the hope that we find when we truly come to know and feel God's grace. How great is the love of God for you. So here are my takeaways from this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Number one, stop being a complainer in life. Always complaining, it's not fair. Life isn't fair, but God's grace is better than fair. Number two, learn to appreciate what you've got and stop always wanting something more. If you can't stop wanting something more, you're never going to know what it means to be content in life with what you have. Number three, Stop comparing yourselves to others. I was amazed to have you picked up that on one of those, what's the meaning of the parable cards? Because when we compare ourselves to others, who do we compare ourselves to? Usually somebody that's got a better deal than we do. But I guarantee you for everybody that's got a better deal than you've got, there are millions of people in this world who have a far lesser deal than you've got. Number four, Stop focusing on what's wrong in life because there'll always be something wrong. Nothing's perfect in this world. But instead, look for, for what is right, what is true, what is wonderful. As Philippians 4 says, for that which is worthy of praise. And if you look for that, you'll find plenty of it because there's more of that than there is the negative things that are wrong. So what you look for is what you find, and what you find will determine how you feel. No wonder the Bible says God's ways are so much greater than our ways. Amen.